0: This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. And today, Good Faith fam, we have with us the legend himself, actor, comedian, writer, producer, Elon Gold. And we're going to talk about anti-Jewishness, what it means, where it's coming from, and where we go from here. And to set it up, I want to highlight one of the key words that appears throughout the Bible, and that is tzedek, justice. And this is basically like the one biblical Hebrew word that every American politician eventually learns because, like, reasons. But in all seriousness, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, my teacher and one of the preeminent theologians of the 21st century, pointed out that in the five books of Moses, the word "sedek" appears most often in the first book, Genesis, and the last book, Deuteronomy. So why is that? Why does the word justice appear primarily in those two books? And the answer, I think, is that while the other books, Exodus, Numbers, what have you, are narratives about the ancient Israelite people, the things they experienced while they were in Egypt or wandering in the desert, Genesis and Deuteronomy aren't about the ancient Israelites per se at all. Genesis is all about what happened to the Israelites' ancestors, and Deuteronomy looks forward to what will happen to the Israelites' descendants. So Genesis is about our past, Deuteronomy is about our future. Genesis is our parents, and Deuteronomy is our kids. Now, when it comes to us, we who live in the present, in the here and now, we can afford to forego demanding justice. Like, if we're just talking me as an individual, so like, look, tolerating a little hatred towards me here, a little bigotry towards me there, I'll figure out a way to survive. But once you start considering yourself as part of a people, someone responsible for validating the sacrifices of your grandparents and your great-grandparents, and ensuring a better future for your grandkids and your great-grandkids. So once you have that perspective, you can't stop fighting for justice for what's right, because ultimately it's not just about you anymore. It's about something so much bigger than you, the trajectory, the destiny of an entire people. So when it comes to fighting anti-Semitism or anti-Jewishness, If it were just a question of the here and now, we could honestly probably just let it go. But ultimately, we're not responsible merely for ourselves. We owe it to the past and future generations not to give in, never to give in. And of course, fighting back may be hard. It may be inconvenient. It may be unfashionable in a world where Jews aren't considered like the right kind of minority group if we're still considered a minority group at all. But fighting this fight is no less noble and obligatory for all of that. And so that's why I brought on someone whose willingness to stand up for his people is just, frankly, awe-inspiring. And because I want to unpack all of this, talk about where we are in this fight, where we're going, and maybe even find some points of light that we can look forward to and look towards. I mean, now that I've given this like hellacious bummer of an intro, I'm really excited to welcome on the man, the myth, the legend, actor, and comedian who's going to be having a recurring role in the upcoming season of Curve Your Enthusiasm, Elon Gold. Elon, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Rabbi Ari. I'm so excited to be here. I, I was really excited. And that was a beautiful opening, by the way. I love well, it. Thank you. Never been on a podcast that began with the Tavar Torah. So already we're off and running. Well, let's rock and roll. Here's the problem I had. I was so excited when you said the big word of the day is tzaddik. I thought you were going to say tzadik. You know, (laughs) you thought this was about you. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was about me. Yeah, and oh my god. And like speaking of tzadikim, here is our guest today. Because I don't want to brag, but but you're gonna. (laughs) uh, And the view, yeah, the viewers at home can't see this, but I'm just going to show you this. This is what we call tefillin marks. See, I'm showing you on the Zoom. Now we're
0: talking. For those that don't know, wrapping tefillin, you get these crazy like rawhide leather marks on your arm. It's awesome. Yeah, for a good
1: (laughs) 40 to 50 minutes. And uh, let's just say it's noon now. So you know when I woke up. I work nights. You know, what do you want? I work (laughs) nights. I got home 2 a.m. last night after a boat show with 300 Hasidim. I said, wow, I, I just went from the set of Curb Your Enthusiasm to the floating Muncie bus. <laughs> it was something else, I'll tell you. And I did that, and then I did a late night, midnight spot at the Comedy Cellar, having to follow Louis C.K. and Michael Che from SNL, <laughs> and that was so fun. So then you get home at 2, you know, you need your 7, 8 hours, so I just put on Tfillin, and I, again, not bragging, but... I put on tefillin every day, even Shabbos.
0: That's how religious I am. (laughs) That's a little joke. That's a joke. Uh, So, I mean, I'm assuming like of the three of you guys, like Louis C.K., Michael Che, and you, you're probably the only one who's got tefillin marks right now. So that's another thing you got.
1: I am absolutely the only one. And and that was my opening line. What a night. What a night you guys got here at the Comedy Cellar. Louis C.K., Michael Che, and me. (laughs) they laughed a little too hard like you're laughing a little too hard at that and it was upsetting to me that that was actually a punchline.
0: yeah well i mean listen i'm just trying to go with the flow here (laughs) i understand i understand Uh, again when you said sedek, i was like
1: no i am not a tzadik but anyway enough of that can we call this today and in honor of of how righteous i am the great faith podcast can we just change the name just for today
0: yeah, I mean, I Cause think... Because I don't I just think, have good faith. I have great faith. I think we have to, in light of the tefillin marks. Like, this is causing me to reassess everything.
1: In light of the tefillin marks, yes. So, people, put your phylacteries on, for crying out loud. Come on, what what could be bad about wrapping yourself in leather every morning? Most of you do it at night.
0: Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, like, the PSA we should be doing. Like, just yeah. the tefillin PSA. I mean, We're the Chabad of podcasts. Honestly, that should be the new tagline for this. So listen, you've personally experienced anti-Semitism before. And if I recall, you actually wrote about this back a couple of years ago. Like I remember there are basically a couple of guys who start harassing you and your wife and your kids on Shabbos when you're putting on tefillin with yeah. uh, with Free Palestine from the river to the sea and whatnot. So you're not a stranger yeah, to this Yeah, it was thing. even
1: worse than Free Palestine. It was uh, a car of four Middle Eastern guys who just pulled up. We're walking home from Friday night dinner around the corner from our house and... Our guy got out of the car and he started yelling, I hope your children die, just like you're killing children in Gaza. So the kids were just completely freaked out. Like imagine you're, I don't know, seven, eight year old and you hear that someone wants you dead. I did write an article about it. You could Google Elongold hate incident. We're not gonna go over this too much because you could just read it. And my whole point in writing that article is I was so angry, not just that it happened to me, in my neighborhood, to my family, it's that I was angry that it was happening for all the wrong reasons. First of all, there's no good reason to hate <laughs> to wish any, someone's kids yeah, to die. To wish those right? <laughs> kids die,
0: but it's there's no right occasion for that. <laughs> there
1: is no right occasion, but it's even worse when you're being fed all these lies and false narratives of genocide mm-hmm. against the Palestinian people and apartheid state you know, I understand the hatred and anger if those things were true. I can't say how nice I'd be to a group of people who I heard were ethnically cleansing my fellow people. I don't know how good I'd be to them, but the problem is we're not, that's all lies. So the anger, yeah, this is all about inciting. It starts from the textbooks to all of the misinformation that comes out of the whole conflict and it's a false narrative, whether it's the fact that we were here first, and it's like, okay, you gotta go back to history. I have this joke in my act where I say, I was tweeting proudly that I was performing in Israel, and someone wrote, don't you mean Palestine? And I was like, why is Israel the only place on earth where people go back in time to correct you incorrectly? Like if I was doing a USO tour, and I was like, hey, I'm performing for the troops in Iraq, it wouldn't be like, don't you mean Mesopotamia? Right, exactly. (laughs) I'm in New York, don't you mean New Amsterdam? Oh look, a butterfly, don't you mean Caterpillar? It's like calling Israel Palestine, that's like calling Caitlyn Jenner Bruce. It is just not the reality on the ground currently. And I say at the end of the bit, I go, and you know what I responded to? Don't you mean Palestine? I wrote, don't you mean Judea? If you want to go
0: back in time, let's like, go we back. We could play that game. We, we could, could play go all that the way back. Game.
1: Yeah, we could play the indigenous game. We could do it.
0: The craziest detail from that story, which which so, like, in literally one word, illustrated the farce of that thing. I actually went back and I read that article. The guys who pull up and harass you guys and wish your children dead, all in the name of you guys being the big bad oppressors and them being the tiny underwhelmed oppressed or overwhelmed oppressed, they pull up in a Mercedes. (laughs) that's that's the best part of the story by the the way best part
1: well it's the hypocrisy never
0: ends it's like rolling up it's like rolling up in this premium car and being like hey stop oppressing us
1: yes literally the most premium like it was one of those like gorgeous mercedes jeeps the new one but anyway to me it's just the vitriol against a group of people that most of whom have nothing to do with that conflict some of whom don't even get or care about Israel. I mean, personally, I didn't even care about Israel until I was about 30. I knew about Israel, and I knew my mother was born there, and I thought it's nice to have a homeland. But I never started really, truly loving or caring about Israel until the first intifada and i started reading about you know they're blowing up cafes and people are just getting murdered i go why are they killing jews again i thought we were done with that 70 years ago what's happening here and i started just going deep dive and learn the history and the conflict and everything and that's when i started caring that's why they say you know anti-semitism it brings jews together it's like this weird thing (laughs) we need it so we could say it again like I really wasn't I was always pro-Israel but I was never like truly Zionistic and outspoken about it because I didn't understand like most people most people have the you know Bella Hadid Instagram uh history lesson and when you really learn about Israel and you learn about how necessary it is and how it is our you know right to self-determination in our ancestral homeland how People say it's, it's oh, because of the Holocaust you got Israel. No, 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 it's not because of the Holocaust we got Israel. It was, Israel is way before the desire to return to Zion is thousands of years old. But thanks to the Holocaust, it didn't hurt our cause that showing the world,
0: hey, they may need a place of refuge or is it refuse or refuge? What, what <laughs> I mean, also, I love the idea of like, you only got Israel because of the Holocaust. It's like, right. well, that's a trade. Like, it's not like after the Holocaust, we were like, thank God this happened. Now we got right. Israel. Right, like,
1: <laughs> right. It was. It's a hell of a consolation prize for 6 million dead. But anyway, so I wrote that article and it went pretty viral. It got like a million views. And my friend David Suisa, he like begged me for it. He's the editor of the Jewish Journal. The Jewish Journal, yeah. Yeah, and he said, I'm telling you, because i wanted to write it for like the new york times i wanted to write it for the world to read because the whole point of the article was not to tell my little story about our little incident it was to make the case for israel it was to give people a little history lesson to give them an understanding of what the situation on the ground currently what is really going on there you know if hamas didn't fire one rocket there wouldn't be one casualty on either side i wanted to just make the case for israel so i wanted it to be in a publication that's widely received but suiza said trust me it'll go viral and it did at a million views wow but my point is i don't love preaching to the choir You know what I mean? It's like I'm trying to reach other people. And that's what I did this past few months ago when it went nuts again, when Hamas started up again, as they always do. And I went crazy on Twitter. And the whole point is not to rail or it's just to educate. It is just to educate. It's unbelievable to me that it is progressive to be anti the only progressive state and country in the Middle East. It is the ultimate in hypocrisy that this is a Pluralistic, multicultural, open, free, democratic society that has gay pride parades. That you know, women have equal rights, and they're the first prime minister of you know what in in Middle Eastern history, and one of the you know first ever in the world female prime minister, and and obviously all the women in 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 the Israeli cabinet, and and scientists and doctors and everything, and then and then you have you know and and the apartheid lie when there's they're literally Muslims. Uh, and Arab Israelis in the government. So it's like, that is some apartheid state. We are really bad at apartheid. My, My joke is we're really bad at apartheid and we're really bad at ethnic cleansing. And you would think after being ethnically cleansed from every country in the Middle East, and europe (laughs) we would have picked up a thing or two about how to ethnically cleanse properly but we didn't because we don't ethnically cleanse we don't know how to nor do we have the desire or interest in ethnically cleansing anyone all we want is coexistence and peace and you know it's unbelievable to me this 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 false blood libel of we are ethnically cleansing a people, forget the fact that the population there, Palestinian and Arab population there is growing exponentially. So it's a ridiculous claim, but it's not, it's so the opposite of the goal and the purpose. You know, whenever you, you hear dead on their side, it's always in a self-defense. It's either Hamas using people as human shields or it's in a war where there are casualties of war. We don't go in there and just start killing people. It's not in our interest. All we want is to coexist. And it's like this claim of genocide and ethnic cleansing. Again, they believe it, it incites them and it really empowers them to go out and hit Jews on the street now, as we saw, you know, and all the attacks that have happened, you know, in the last few months is just a result of people who are fed these lies and they're so angry they want to do something about it. But if they knew that it was all completely not true, or as as somebody would call it fake news, you know, right, I mean, right. look, this is totally fake. You know, there's a lot of lies <laughs> going on about about Israel, and you know, I love the Jews. I love the Jews. If only they could see orange me doing juice, the Trump pear, orange juice, orange apple juice, juice. <laughs> apple juice. Oh, good exactly. juice. That's a famous Judy Gold joke. <laughs> oh, there By really? the way, awesome. Rabbi Ari, if only they could see me doing the hand motions, it would be even a better impression.
0: And <laughs> a podcast, famously a visual medium. <laughs> yes,
1: but that's why I wrote the article. I just wanted to make the case for Israel. So read it if you don't understand what's going on there.
0: It feels like what happened a few months ago, when like whenever it was, May, June. Mm-hmm. That felt worse than it's felt in a long time. Like, were you surprised by the intensity and the... Or maybe, like, just how blatant it was the last few months? I think when anti-Semitism rears
1: its ugly head, as it too often does, it's always boiling under the surface. It just needs to reach that boiling point. And all they, the haters, need is an excuse. So whether it's a little flare-up in Gaza... Or another fake news story: We killed Jesus. You know, people—they just need a reason. They killed Jesus. Let's kill them. Meanwhile, the Romans killed Jesus. Right. So it's like again another false narrative that's just an excuse. You know, they just need that scapegoat. You know, in Germany, it was they're destroying the economy and they're blah blah blah. You know, but sadly, there are way too many out there that are looking for the reason. They're waiting for it. And when these people, you know, they just come out of the woodwork really, really quickly when they see the images, when they see the New York Times print a cover of all these dead Palestinian children, which who would deny that that's a tragedy? But it's a tragedy that Hamas is liable for, not Jews on the streets of L.A. and New York and not Israelis and not even the IDF who may have directly or indirectly killed them. Because as you know, a lot of the children that were killed by errant rockets that fell short from Hamas. But Israel still gets blamed for those, for the Hamas rockets that killed Palestinians. Israel gets blamed for that. But even in the retaliatory strikes which again idf most moral army in the world they call you up and go you may want to get out of this building because there's rockets being stored and we can't have it raining rockets in our city in our cities in our towns so we're going to bomb that building with the rockets get out and hamas goes no, no no stay there don't worry about it because the more casualties the more that the john olivers and trevor noahs get
0: to go look at the numbers numbers don't lie it's like really that's like of course numbers don't lie the truth that the numbers are telling is that hamas is like truly truly evil like it's so insane to me that this is not the most obvious like conventional wisdom
1: i agree with you every part of it it is so insane when the left left israel i just went okay i consider myself a liberal guy but i literally moved more to the center just to get away from those nutcases it's like how could you say you're liberal and you have liberal values when israel has the greatest of liberal values not only in the middle east but in the world
0: so how and then it gets you treated that? like some like cynical ploy for covering up other stuff it's like oh you're only extremely tolerant all the time to so many different groups like as a ploy i'm like well it's working, you know, like right. Israel is super tolerant. <laughs> yeah, super tolerant. They'll they'll have a gay pride parade and then it's like they're pink washing. It's like
1: you right. could do no right to some of these woke nut jobs. Hold on just one sec. We're
0: gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. So here's something that really has been bothering me about the discourse around anti-Semitism. I'm trying to like work my way through it. So I wanna run this by you and try it on for size. So, there's this thing that we all encounter where you'll get some Jewish person, like in the pop culture and politics or the media or whatever, who will be like, Well, as a Jew, I think anti Semitism is being weaponized to shut down debate, blah, blah, blah. Or, like, you know, well, as a Jew, I can tell you I was brainwashed in summer camp into believing Israel was more perfect than God. And, like, aside thank you, from the Seth fact, Rogen. Exactly. And, like, aside from the fact that this is, like, the dorkiest, most pathetic form of pandering and groveling that you could possibly imagine, it also exposes, I think, kind of like a conceptual weakness that American or maybe, like, Western society more generally introduces into the conversation around anti-Semitism and that is for the vast vast majority of Jewish history like until three seconds ago relatively speaking Jewishness was something that you did it was something that you embodied right so you lived as a Jew and that didn't mean you were perfect or you kept all the practices or believed this or that or or even knew anything about Jewish literature or wisdom at all but it was kind of understood that you had some sort of experiential bar to clear before you could speak prescriptively about how Jewish life should go But in America today, there's like nothing more important in the world than identity, how you identify, what your racial or ethnic identity is or what have you. And that ends up getting transposed onto Jewishness. So like Judaism isn't something you do or a way you live. It's something you are. So like merely breathing and having a Jewish parent means you're just as entitled to speak, quote unquote, as a Jew, as anyone else. And like, yes, Judaism does believe that you are a Jew no matter what. But isn't there something off? Like, isn't there a problem when literally anyone with a circumcision or like not even like these days can just presume to speak authoritatively about anti-Semitism, even if they invest like next to nothing in their Jewish identity in any other circumstance? Like, how do we fix that?
1: Yeah, you're exactly on point. And the truth is, like I said, up until I was 30, I didn't know anything about Israel and, you know, whatever they taught you at camp this is just feeds right into these they've got these secret meetings and these agendas it's like you know what i'll admit something we do have secret meetings and agendas they're called fundraisers at these fundraisers we have a few agendas number one how do we get these idiots to stop thinking we have an agenda number two (laughs) <laughs> how do we raise more money so that we can continue to have these meetings to discuss how to stop right. people? To, uh, anyway, the point is, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous how people speak with authority. You've got to live a really Jewish life. Now, I, I'm not preaching religion here.
0: As I'm saying, it doesn't have to be like any particular form no. of denominationalism or whatever. But like, right? But but the way you I have the to way-
1: know your stuff. You know, if you never heard of Tish above then don't talk about judaism right. because tish above is at the center of it all like it's like israel it's you know you know for me again back to the the false narrative when someone like abbas the, the leader of the pa says there were no temples here and it's like flies in the face of history archaeology theology reality and he says the jews have no connection to jerusalem it's like no, 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 no. We actually made the connection. Right. It's it, it was it was us who said eh, this is uh, this is our holy place. It's like I have a joke that we don't have time for jokes, but the, but it's like imagine if you know Walt Disney, who just literally went to Orlando, this landlocked garbage town, and said, <laughs> "This is going to be." Our happy place. This is going to be the happiest place on earth. And everyone's like, Walt,
0: upon this they're... rock, I shall build my church. You know, <laughs> exactly.
1: It's like, Walt, this is Orlando. Let's, you know, we're landlocked here. There's nothing here. No, no, no. This will be our. Ha-. Now imagine Universal comes along and they go, We're going to build our theme park uh, across the street and it's going to be our happy place too. And the Disney folks are like, Yeah, gay it's hate. The more the merrier, sure. But now imagine Universal that comes along after Disney goes, You know, these Disney folks, they got no business being here. This is not their happy place. It's our happy place. They got nothing to do with happy and Orlando. It's like, what? We invented Orlando as the happy place. So the Hebrew Bible deemed Israel as the Holy Land. It was called the promised land because it was promised to the Jewish people. But here's the truth we want to share it and we're happy to share it with our Christian and Muslim brothers and sisters. But not only do they not want to share it, and I'm talking about leadership, not everybody, but they literally want it to be Judenrein. They want it to be, you know, they're just for them and no one else. Like they ethnically cleanse us out of every Middle Eastern country. So it's like, how do you look at both of those sides and do that? But back to your point, so unless you know all these things and you're really well-versed and you're studied on Jewish history, again, not just Israel's history, but Jewish history, if you've learned the Talmud, if you've done our rituals and customs, you know, celebrate our holidays, then you could speak with some authority. But when you have a guy like Seth Rogan, who I got into a Twitter war with, who literally has no connection to Judaism other than culturally, like he is very... Culturally, and by the way, a proud Jew, very proud to be Jewish. I mean, he wore it on his sweater for an entire movie, a, a Mug right. and David. Right. So he gets very upset, as he did with me, with Jews like you think that I i mean, I am like the most proud Jew ever. I wore it on my freaking sweater for an entire movie. Uh.
0: Anyway, so that was another Donald Trump impression that, you know,
1: you know, a lot of guys, they do these impressions. And nobody knows. Nobody knows who they're doing. This is ridiculous. I can't stand Donald Trump. Um, Seth Rogen also has that nasal thing. He's I'm very nasal. I can't say my ends. I, I say nasal with a D. Um, the point is Seth Rogen tweets out uh, I didn't know there were people there before meaning before 1948 and I just couldn't let that Tweet go by without saying something, and I replied, Yeah, Seth, there were people there before 48, people like my mother,
0: who was born in 1936. I was gonna say, I'm named after someone who was literally born in Jerusalem, my great grandfather, (laughs) and you didn't know.
1: And now that plays into the, the false narratives, and that plays into they did come in and just steal the land. Oh, they're not indigenous. It's like, No, no, no,
0: we go back thousands of years. Yeah, there were people there before. The thing with Seth Rogen that so honestly, it didn't bother me from the standpoint of like, like irrespective of anything Seth Rogen says, Israel's going to keep on being super awesome. Like literally, like the only thing that Seth Rogen is losing out on is just his own personal happiness and experience. Right. But what just made me sad about that whole thing was people like Seth Rogen debate israel's existence or zionism as if it's like theoretical and in reality israel is like a real place with lots and lots of people and families like it's not a question of like is it legitimate or not like they're real people there and i think you can see it as a through line in his entire engagement with judaism as a whole and again i can't read his mind but all i can tell you is like interpret the things that he puts out into the world so like american pickle is a great example i watched american pickle And I truly did appreciate what he was trying to do with it. And for those of you who haven't seen it, like, I encourage you to watch it. Like, it's worth seeing how a Jewish person like Seth Rogen kind of, like, experiences or doesn't experience Judaism in his own life. But, like, the thrust of that movie is so fascinating because the point he's trying to make, which I think is a laudable one, at least in terms of how he intends it, is oh, the life of a millennial or a Gen Z person living today is so empty and devoid of community and denuded of any sense of purpose and vision. And our grandparents and great-grandparents really did have those things in their lives and their lives were richer for it. The sad thing is that the way that he shows that in the movie is like the climax is he has to go back to like the mother country or to like the old country he has to go back to europe and find a bunch of old men in a synagogue back where his great-grandfather grew up and like that's where he finds purpose and vision the crazy thing is the movie is set in brooklyn (laughs) like borough park is like five steps away from where the whole (laughs) thing takes place And it's like the whole problem that the Seth Rogans of the world suffer from, and I don't mean problem in a sense of like, I object to it. It's just I weep for them, Mm -hmm. is that they are blind to like any actual real Jews who exist in real life. Like everything that he's looking for in American Pickle
1: is right in front of your face.
0: Yeah, is right there. Everything that he's looking for, like you could go to Israel and find all of those things. But like for him, it's all like Judaism is all theoretical. And that's what I'm talking about with like people who are speaking as a Jew because they were born Jewish. Like, that's great. You are Jewish, and I love you because of that. And I'll always love you, even if, you know, even if you drive me crazy. But it's like a laziness, honestly. It's just like a laziness.
1: Yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. And it's more than just the laziness and his missing out. It's dangerous rhetoric. So when he says something on a podcast right. that Israel makes no sense, and his to his point, In his defense, he was actually saying it makes no sense to put all your Jews in one basket because it's easier to kill all of them. That was on Mark Maron's podcast. But the haters, all the anti-Israel folks, they take it and they just take that little soundbite. See, Israel makes no sense. Even one of them agrees. It makes no sense. We should get rid of it. Let's just annihilate it. Let's just destroy it. It makes no sense. Listen to Seth Rogen. That's the danger. It's not just that he's missing out. And that's why I had to get into a two-day feud with him where we took it off Twitter and went on DMs. And again, I was just trying to educate him. I was trying to inspire him. I was trying to get him to show that he, he has a giant platform. Yeah,
0: or like take some responsibility for his humongous platform.
1: Yeah, know that when you say Israel makes no sense. And then he jokes that he's afraid of Jews, he goes, because he's afraid of the backlash he'll get. And you hear him saying, I am 100% afraid of Jews. I'm like legitimately afraid of Jews. Now, what he meant again right. was- We're, we're famous, famous And right. going, uh, you shouldn't be talking like that about Israel. And that's what he, right. means. he just meant that little backlash. But again, taking It's it like, out like our version
0: of like the churchy aunt, you know. <laughs> what is that? I'm not that
1: intelligent. What is that? No, I am
0: saying like you'll see on TV like Tyler Perry. There's always like your aunt who goes to church and is like right, telling right. you to pull oh, up your churchy, pants uh, like
1: I thought you were saying a fancy word, the churchy aunt. And I was like, <laughs> is that a French word like it's like your like French, my raison Dentra. Exactly. The churchy aunt. My churchy aunt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. what he's afraid of. The exactly. people that, you know, his relatives that yell at him for saying stupid stuff. But again, Taken out of context versus what he meant, I'm afraid of Jews. That makes everyone go, we should be afraid of them. I knew it. Well, what can we do so that we're not afraid of them? Let's get rid of them. If they're not here, we don't have to fear them. So that all just feeds into the craziness. Now, again, to Seth's point, he's just like, I don't mean any of this. I'm on a podcast. I'm trying to be funny. I'm saying funny things to my friend Mark. I don't mean to be, you know, to, to fuel anti Semitism. I'm the last person to fuel anti Semitism. But Seth, you are fueling anti-Semitism. If you said really positive things about Israel and then he finally came out, it does have a right to exist. Oh, thank you. Thank you for telling right. the world a
0: country has a right to exist. It's the only country in the world where anyone debates its like actual existence. It's the only country. I wonder why. Right. But what you said
1: also further to your point, that is so true that he's missing out he's missing out and that's what when i think about for lack of a better term yenta on that netflix show my so-called my uh, what is it my unorthodox
0: life yeah i couldn't bring myself to watch it like i just couldn't
1: i look at her and i feel badly for her because she thinks that her story is a female empowerment story when in reality, and I'm all for female empowerment, but there's a way to empower yourself without completely losing your entire belief system, your heritage, your family, which she just picked up and left, you know, her husband and said, Yeah, this isn't for me. Well, you could work that out, you know, within your family. And that's why her her own daughter didn't speak to her for a year or so, because she just left everything, not just wearing a shadle she left it all and that's not female empowerment that's quitting <laughs> and when i see her story i feel bad for her because i'm like hey there's a way to empower and a way to get out of so-called you know the oppressive rituals like well women have to you know wear this wig well take the wig off okay but you could still keep shabbat you could still light candles you could still have a beautiful i mean to me shabbos is the greatest gift ever ever if if jesus came down if Muhammad came i would still keep Shabbos. Right. By the way, so would Jesus. So would right. Jesus.
0: I wrote an article about that. By the way. Well, oh, like, you gotta send me that. I gotta see that article. Jesus keeping Shabbos. And we just said this on the podcast last week. Like, Shabbos is the one thing where I genuinely have so many incredible, wonderful Gentile friends. I genuinely do not understand. And Jewish friends, by the way, like who don't keep Shabbos. Like, I genuinely don't understand how someone How, like, someone lives, like, survives. I
1: don't understand how someone lives without it. Without That's the point. It's like... It blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah, someone said to me, like, it was a fellow comedian. He was like, oh, my God. So you're just missing out on going out to the comedy clubs Friday night. You're missing out on whatever, movies, or you're just... I'm like, no, dude, you're missing out. You're missing out on the one night out of seven where you don't do anything but, as I call it, connecting by disconnecting and you literally disconnect from the world your phone social media everything and you just connect to everything to god to your family to yourself i feel bad for you
0: it's like a whole 24 hours where like you don't have the privilege of going into the cesspool that is twitter like woe is me (laughs) oh it's
1: incredible so that is the whole thing so for this woman on netflix I feel badly for her that she is missing out on the beauty of our tradition and rituals and customs. It's like, no, going to a palace in Versailles, it's as empty as that big palace is. There is no meaning behind it, it's nice. It's nice. But, you know, it'd be nicer having Shaba's dinner there or keeping a lot of the traditions of our thousands of year old culture and heritage and just to deny it and to just not deny it, but just to throw it in the garbage and to mock her son and to belittle your own son who's trying to stick with it. You just feel so bad for this kid. And by the way, the only saving grace of that whole show was when the ex-husband comes out and he handles the daughter who's like, I'm changing my name, dad, because I don't want to be associated with you or any of this crap and he was like okay i respect your decision and i was like okay that's orthodox judaism there's a guy who is open to other ideas and it's not as restrictive and closed-minded as is portrayed it's not a totally open-minded thing being that or ultra orthodox i'm not going to call that the most open-minded but that guy represents the average you know orthodox or modern orthodox jew who is just a good guy who is trying to keep his traditions and keep his family in check. And unfortunately, there was a force beyond his control that destroyed his entire family. But yeah, it's all, like you said, Jews that, have nothing but this, like either cultural identity or this intellectual identity of like, yeah. Theoretically, uh, what does Israel mean to me, and what does Judaism mean to me? it's, it's not theory; it's practice. You got to practice it. You know, practice makes perfect. Am I right, Rabbi Ari?
0: <laughs> so that gets me to like the question of of culture. So like, whether it's my unorthodox life, honestly, you know where I thought about this the most. I recently went to see In the Heights. Like, I actually saw it in theaters, and. First of all, I went to see it with some incredible friends from the Dominican community who grew up in the Heights also. It was just like an amazing thing. That's cool. It was Jews from Yeshiva University. It was Dominicans from the Philos Project, Jesse Rojo, shout out. But I remember going into the movie and thinking, I'm probably going to hate this and here's why. This is a movie about Washington Heights where I lived for well over a decade. As did I sort of at MTA. I went to Yeshiva University. Did you go to MTA? Yes. Oh my God. So years. did I. Oh my God. We yes. have we could do like a whole. Oh, six that's hours another hour. That's another hour. <laughs> us, uh, us, and the Beastie Boys. Not really. Yes. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself: Here's a movie about Washington Heights community, which has not one but two historic Jewish communities: one on the Yeshiva University side, the other one on the Breuer side, sort of this old school German Jewish community. And much like in the Broadway show, you're not going to see a single Jew. Like this is crazy. We're being erased. Then I saw the movie. I have to tell you, I loved it so much, and here's why I loved it. There was not a single Jew in the movie. I think one of the characters mentions a synagogue at one point, like in a throwaway, but not a Jew to be found, not a yarmulke to be seen. And yet, the story was about this tight-knit community that has an incredible sense of its homeland, understands itself to be in a diaspora and doesn't see those two things in tension. Like, it celebrates its identity, it's waving the Dominican flag, and yet it's also deeply invested in building up this country and loving this place. It's full of entrepreneurship, dedication, like, really rising and confronting prejudice, but at the same time being bigger than it. And I thought to myself, like, I see my story in this movie so much more than if they threw up like a token Jew on screen. And it got me thinking, If we're thinking about how to respond to anti-Semitism, I think some of the problem, I actually feel very strongly about this, but some of the problem is that we're so purely reactive to this stuff. And what we should be doing, or at least part of what we should be doing, is actually going out and telling our stories unabashedly, unashamedly, without feeling like, oh, we can't be too Jewy. Like, the coolest thing about the Heights was no one making the Heights was like, well, we can't be too Dominican. They were so proud and so unabashed, unashamed. And I'm like, that is awesome. So if we want to tell our stories, Isn't this the time for us to say, like, if we don't like the my unorthodox lives of the world, or if we want to see ourselves in the pop culture where we should be, like we're the stewards of the oldest, like 3,000 years of wisdom. We're the stewards of the oldest, grandest tradition of wisdom in the history of humanity. We're the cool kids table. Like we should be making culture, movies, TV, podcasts, like music, go on and down the line. Is this the next great project for the Jewish community? Like. A, why aren't we more focused on this? Like, why are we so reactive? And how do we get out of being reactive?
1: Yeah, everything you said, that's such a great observation about the (laughs) movie, that it's literally more Jewish than American Pickle. Oh, 100%. That you can almost see your own story in that movie, the way that every family, Italian, Jewish, any family, sees themselves in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes, But I didn't see that within the Heights. And that adds a brilliant observation that, like, oh my God, that same thing connection to the homeland, but being proud here and going back and forth with that. That is so interesting to me. Yes, the answer is we must do that because that is one of the best ways to fight anti Semitism by being proud of who you are and your culture and heritage and traditions, owning it, showing it, and not to, again, brag. I know we're coming towards the end of this, but we started with my brag of tefillin, my big tefillin brag. But my project that I'm working on now, I'm actually writing a TV show with the great Daniel Lapin and his amazing wife, Gaia. They live in Israel. They're like the top writers I love it. Yeah, in Israel. About, I'm not going to give away too much. But that has to move to israel and this experience of american jews being i call it not a fish out of water but it's when the fish is thrust out of water bludgeoned <laughs> in the head gutted fried and other than fried like you're to describing us,
0: gefilte fish you know
1: <laughs> exactly but to us like just an american grew up in la to have to move to israel and that experience it's like new language new culture oh, new everything yeah, so we're telling that story. And I pretty much play myself a comedian who's really sort of not doing well in, in Hollywood. So he goes and moves to the Holy Land. He brings a little piece of Hollywood to the Holy Land. We're calling it Hollywood. Amazing. And, and we're in the midst of writing that oh right God. now. We're going to
0: film it hopefully in like six months. And... I just want to slow jam that last sentence you just said. Like, that's so good. It's so fun. <laughs> and it's
1: like, it's just like why I wrote that article. I want to do this TV show for other than the obvious reasons of I like making good TV shows. Other than that, I want to make the case for Israel in a funny inspiring real way i mean look what rami did for the muslim family
0: exactly like that's the example i always point to where i'm like it's the most jewish show on television
1: yeah you see these guys and they're washing their feet and their hands every second it's like isn't that crazy no it's beautiful that they have their customs and their traditions from muslims
0: in like north bergen it's awesome (laughs) very
1: religious and very into it and there is nothing wrong is everything right with being into your religion and being and being that connected so So again, when you own it and when you show it proudly, unabashedly, that's when, like you said, you look at it and you go, that's so cool. So I want to do that as this observant family that goes to Israel and has this experience. And again, so much of that is about, I want to show Israel in the positive light that it deserves. I want to show it as the multicultural, incredible democracy that it is. But I want to show all of the Mishugas that, you know, the second you get to Israel, you, you experience. But just in a, in, in a way, the way I do in my act, in my act, I never make fun of Judaism. I poke fun, you know, my Christmas tree bit, which is another thing that was seen millions of people around the world, 97% <laughs> of people who see that bit, they go, oh my God, that's so not only funny, but boy, you must have really learned Gemara. You must have, I'm like, yeah, I learned and I still do.
0: And like everyone should, it's like one of the most remarkable pieces remarkable. of wisdom to come out of the ancient world. It's like four yes. times longer and 10 times more complex than Justinian's code. Like it's insane.
1: Yeah. So I did that bit out of love for it. It's awesome. But it's also my job to not make fun, but to poke fun at all the idiosyncrasies and all the arguments and (laughs) debates and the little, you know, the minutia of every, you know, argument. That's what I have to do. I will poke fun at everything. If we're in a hut for eight days in October, I'm going to poke fun that we're in that hut. But I'm going to build the hut and I'm going to have every meal in it. I don't really sleep in it but uh you know but I'll still poke fun at it. we're in a hut when you know we have perfectly decent uh, roofs over our heads but I'll I'll poke fun at it and and it's like that's my job as a comedian so I can't wait to poke fun at, it at all things Israel but it's going to be in a loving way and it's going to be a positive betrayal where people will see oh Oh, that's Israel. Oh, those are Israelis. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, they have no interest in oppressing the Palestinian people. No, none, none. We just have interest in coexisting and living our lives and wishing the best for everybody and just leave us alone for crying out loud.
0: Oh, my God. So listen, we could talk for like a thousand hours. This is amazing. At least. And if we speak for
1: 10,000 hours, we would get good at speaking, according exactly. to Malcolm Gladwell.
0: <laughs> Better than we are at ethnic cleansing, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly ladies and gentlemen. You could see Elon in a recurring role in the upcoming season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Ari, can I
1: just say this was a real treat and you, yes, I'm going to be on Curb with Larry. It's very exciting. (laughs) Wait till you see it. And my role is also, uh, it's incredible. So you talk about owning your Judaism and being proud. And again, I do it in a poking fun way and it's just so great. Larry was like, the more Jewish, the better. Just go, just every reference, every, just throw it all out there. But it was an honor to talk to you, and you are a great legacy of rabbis that I've always uh, respected and loved, and being a Talmud, a student of, uh, you know, the great Rabbi Lamb from Yeshiva University. That's
0: very kind. So to get
1: to talk to you, and you in your own way, in your own right, are, are doing great things, and I have nothing but love and respect, so thanks for having me.
0: Listen, let's do it again sometime. This is awesome.
1: Amen, or as they say, Amen. <laughs> if you're a dork <laughs> they even took our amen i know uh, and then owned it and claimed it as theirs the jews have nothing to do with amen you know amen is hebrew folks you know that right but the jews <laughs> they've got nothing to do with it
0: unbelievable elon thank you so much for don't joining get me us. started all right thanks <laughs> look guys i don't have too much more to say after that But if there's one takeaway, I hope it's this. We have to fight anti-Jewishness, anti-Semitism, like we have no other choice. But at the very same time, we need to remember that we do have another choice, and that's to stop being reactive and start being proactive. We're the stewards of the greatest, most magnificent tradition of wisdom in human history that's inspired countless people across the generations and is continuing to inspire countless people throughout the world. So let's start acting like it. It's time to stop reacting to culture and start building culture. That's what we've always done since the days of Abraham, Sarah, and Moses. And it's what we can do again today. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you like what you heard, just head into Apple Podcasts, head into iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating, five stars only, because it really helps people find the show. Anyway, that's it for now. This is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. faith effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Paul Ruest. This is a Joshua Network podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at G faith effort. Follow Ari at Ari Lam, and sign up for our email list at thejoshuanetwork.com. The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.